Hey, 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 what is up, everybody? And welcome to the White Tiger Podcast, episode 23. You heard it right, 23 episodes in. And if you've been here for all 22, thank you very much. As always, I much appreciate it. And if you haven't, and this is your first time here, welcome. So hopefully you enjoy the wonderful audio awesomeness we're just about to bring you. And listen, if someone's forcing to listen to this podcast right now, I'm sorry. But good news, it's a good one. So enjoy it. So first things first, as you know, I am a man of tradition. And sticking with tradition, I would like to thank one just absolutely off-the-charts fan for just leaving me an absolutely off-the-charts review on iTunes. So I'd like to take this moment to give a huge thank you to Daniel B for leaving me a fantastic review and for his kind words. And yes, Daniel, the content of the podcast is incredible and the message is positive. Thank you. It is. And it's about real topics, which is true. Oh, and also, if you're going to binge on something, it might as well be five episodes of the podcast. So, hey, thanks. So you're asking yourself, how can I get showered with podcast love? Well, it's easy. Just leave a review on iTunes. Shoot over to my bio on Instagram, click the link, leave a review, and you could be next. We all get one chance at life. What are you doing with yours? All failures and successes in life start with you. You steer your own ship, control your own thoughts, and choose how you react to things that occur. Everybody deals with challenges. It's how you handle them that makes the difference. Proper advice and real-world answers can be hard to come by. And that's where the White Tiger Podcast comes in. Host Craig Casaletto has seen and experienced things most people don't and shouldn't. 15 years in law enforcement taught him many life lessons. And he's here with a raw perspective on the professional and personal challenges life throws our way. This is the White Tiger Podcast. Yo, yo, what is up, everybody? And welcome back after that awesome intro and voiceover. Now you're in for the long haul, so you can't go anywhere. But you're not going to want to because this is a really, really good episode that I think you need to hear. Uh, Two things you need to know about me that are really important. One is I love the game of football. And two, I love being able to sit down and talk to not only interesting, but just really, really great people. This week, I had the opportunity to not only sit down with a great guy, but we also talked about football. And I got to be honest, it was awesome and probably one of the best times I've had doing an interview in a while. So this week, I want to share with you just a really great interview that I had with former NFL player Asante Cleveland. So if you're not familiar with Asante's background, he played football at the University of Miami and after going undrafted, was picked up by the San Francisco 49ers. He also played for coach Bill Belichick and alongside Tom Brady during his time with the New England Patriots, and most recently with the San Diego and LA Chargers. So during our sit-down, Asante shared some really great stories from his time playing at the University of Miami, his transition into the pros, and life after football. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I had doing it. So here's my time with Asante Cleveland. I am very fortunate today to spend time with just a really, really great person. You know, sometimes life brings you in contact with a variety of people. And today I got an opportunity to speak to one of those people. Uh, I want to introduce you guys to Asante Cleveland. For those guys who don't know, Asante's former football player, played for the 49ers, played for the New England Patriots, and most recently the LA Chargers. Also played college ball at uh, University of Miami. Is just an all-around just great dude. Asante, thank you for being here. Man, thanks for having me, Craig. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. 
So Asante, like I know some stuff about you, and I think a lot of people listening may not necessarily know a ton about you. Can you just start off by telling us a little bit about, about your background and how you got into football? Uh, I'm originally from Sacramento, California. I didn't start playing football until I was a freshman in high school. My dad played in the uh, NFL, played for the Cowboys, but he never pushed me to play football. So I kind of found football on my own and got good at it. And I was fortunate enough to get a full ride scholarship to the University of Miami. Played there, loved it being loved being a Hurricane, and then I was fortunate enough to go undrafted to the 49ers and have a four year career. Awesome. So. Back in high school, did you did you play football in high school? I did, yeah. Freshman year, I started off as a wide receiver, and then they moved me to tight end. It might not have been fast enough to still be a receiver. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, did you? So what was it about your move to tight end? Did they, was this something that the coaches saw in you and said, "Listen, I think you're going to be really good at this position. Let me let's move you there." Uh, that's what it was. But at the time, I saw it as a demotion from a wide receiver. I mean, I loved catching like hitch and goes and stuff like that. But then I moved to tight end and it was just a way more natural position for my size, my ability, and it worked out for me. Awesome. And then I also saw, so I did some Asante Cleveland homework. Okay. So is it true that you threw the shot put? I did. Yeah. I did throw and a I, shot and put. And my understanding is that you may still hold a record at Christian Brothers High School for, for the shot put. I might. I might. I How do I know this? And you don't know this. I don't Asked, uh, can I tell you what I did in my previous career? I don't know. Were you an uh, FBI investigator? <laughs> kind of, kind of. So, yeah, so that's some of the information I found out about you. But, you know, listen, one of the big things that stood out for me was you went to the University of Miami to play tight end. Mm. And for those who don't know, like, the University of Miami is, like, synonymous for producing, like, really great tight ends. Yeah. So I think, like, knowing that you were going to that school in that position, I mean, did that, was that, like, a big deal for you? Well, I was originally committed to Washington State my whole senior year, and then my senior season finished, and I put together a highlight tape just to put something out there, and it was a really good highlight tape. And then Miami came to recruit me uh, late December. They were already done with recruiting, and then they gave me an offer after they saw my YouTube uh, highlight. And uh, I did a little research. That's also when the, the 30 for 30 had just came out about the U. Yeah. And I didn't really know much about University of Miami. I didn't really watch football growing up because my dad didn't watch football. And I learned about it, and I saw some of the names that have come out of University of Miami, like tight end U, and I just knew I had to be there. Yeah, I mean, I just I know being a football fan, just some of the tight ends and stuff that have come out of that school is pretty awesome. And yeah. I think to be in that like mix of guys, that's got to be pretty special. Yeah, and especially when I first got there, uh, Jimmy Graham had just gotten to the league. And he would come back in the offseason. And it was just really cool to be around all these knowledgeable pro athletes who came from the University of Miami who knew what we were all going through. And we could kind of look to them and see how's the right way to do it. How are they doing it? How should I emulate? And it was, we had a, a whole bunch of people to look to. Do you, do you still have contact with those guys? Do you, do you, is there like a fraternity amongst tight ends that have gone to that school to kind of keep in contact? Yeah, we all keep in contact. We all are a network for each other. So if any one of the tight ends ever need to reach out to any other one of the tight ends, it's like an open door. And that's the beauty of University of Miami is everyone's looking out for each other. Everyone wants to see a fellow Hurricane succeed. And it's great that that extends beyond your college experience. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, guys go into the pros, some guys go into other parts of their life. And it's nice to know that you still have that, yeah. that resource of that network. 
So Asante, after your college experience at the University of Miami, you went in undrafted and mm-hmm. got picked up by the 49ers, correct? Yeah. And then you played some time with the 49ers. Maybe you could kind of explain your, your first like, experience in the NFL. Well, my first experience in the NFL was pretty unordinary. Um, so you get draft, you get signed, and then you go through camp and preseason. And I had an okay preseason in the beginning. And then the last game we played Houston, and I got a touchdown. So I just knew I was making the team. <laughs> and so uh, the next day, when they're making the final cuts, the guys came and tell me that they're going to cut me, but they wanted to sign me to practice squad. So my ego was a little hurt because I felt I did a pretty good job, but I was all right. And so the next day, I went to sign to the practice squad, and everything was good. I went in, signed, went back to the hotel, relaxing, feeling good. And then like 20 minutes later, I get a call to come back. So I'm thinking, did I leave something? Like, did I forget something at the facility? <laughs> and so I go back into the GM's office, and he says, hey, uh, we just signed someone to the practice squad, and we're going to have to let you go. So 20 minutes after I just kind of achieved my NFL dream of like being still in an organization, it was taken away. And that was weird because it was very unexpected. I didn't know that could happen. And so I was going back to the hotel upset. I may have shed a tear or, or, or two. <laughs> and Totally understandable. Uh, yeah. So I was packing up, about to drive back to Sacramento. And my agent called me right before I was about to hit the road and said, Sante, go back. Everything's squared away. You're back on the team. You just have to pretend like this didn't happen. Like, don't hold a grudge and just move forward. So I've always seen the NFL in, like, it's kind of ugliness. So I've always been aware, like, this can be gone at any second. Yeah. Like, from then on, I was focused on, like, never get complacent, never get too comfortable in this situation because you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I think if you were to look at it and take, let's say, something positive out of a negative situation, per se, I mean, would you say that's one of the positive things you took out of that experience was that you're maybe more aware that the opportunity can, can go away very quickly? Yeah, I, I lost the fairy tale immediately. It wasn't like this glamorous dream anymore. It was like, oh, this is cutthroat, and they're always looking to replace you. So don't give them a reason to. Try not to give them a reason to. Did you, before that point, did you see the NFL as a business or just more of just uh, of you playing a sport? I, in college, you kind of see it's more of a business and then the NFL even more. And that was my first kind of reality to where, oh, this is even more cutthroat in college because in college, once you sign that scholarship, you're there for a year for sure. But you can sign a multi-million dollar contract in the NFL and be gone the next day. There is no guarantee. So I've always had that understanding where it's like, just work hard, stay focused, and be accountable. You know, it's, it's funny you say that because I could see what from a for people who don't know, they may not necessarily see the business aspect behind like a league like the NFL and yeah. people trying to survive in the league. And what happens, I think, is, is that you have guys now that are holding out because they want to you know, get what they feel is deserved to them. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I, I kind of don't begrudge them whatsoever. You know, I mean, I, I understand that, you know, from a, from a business's perspective, let's mm-hmm. say the NFL has the business. I mean, listen, here today, gone tomorrow, yeah. you know, and I can understand guys wanting to maximize their value when they have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. And then you see that if a team feels like you don't, if you underperform a contract they give you, they'll get rid of you immediately. 
But if you overperform what they projected you to do, they're not going to give you a raise. So that's why you see all these people holding out because they know it's a small window that I can get this amount of money. I've got to do whatever I have to do to get it because they are not going to give it to you. Because you see what Earl Thomas broke his leg in. It's like, you know, he's not going to get that big contract that he deserves anymore. So you have to keep yourself in mind. Like you got to protect number one. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned him because just looking at it from the outside in, I, I kind of, I really felt for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just kind of found, and I understood, especially nowadays, you know, with, with Le'Veon Bell and stuff holding out and stuff like that, but I, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. I understand it. And I think, I think as a fan, sometimes people don't see that aspect, that side of the whole NFL, you know, and, and, they, and listen, you guys are out there you're trying to do your thing. You're trying to make money. It's your business. It's your yeah. livelihood, you know? And I think anyone put in that situation, regardless if you're a football player or not, would, I think, want to hold out for whatever they feel is their value. Yeah, and for what happened to Earl Thomas, him getting hurt was the exact reason people hold out. Right. And to see it, the, the team kind of played into, like, oh, you have to be there for your team. And that's what he did. He was there to fight for his teammates, even though he knew he deserved more money. But it's like, he put that aside to go help the team. And right or wrong, you see what happened. Yeah. And so you have to always look out for yourself because they're not going to. So you, you spent some time with the 49ers and then you wind up going to the Patriots, correct? Yeah, I got traded, which is uh, an experience and a half. Yeah, can you, t- <laughs> can you tell me about that? I'm just curious. So we had just played our first preseason game against the Texans. I had a pretty good game. I had like three catches. And then the next morning before we're going into the facility, I get a knock on my door at like seven in the morning. And one of the operations people said, Hey, you just got traded. We need you to get to the facility. And he didn't tell me where I got traded to. Like, I didn't know why. I mean, I didn't know I had trade value at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but so I went to the facility and uh, Coach Tom Sula sat me down and said, Hey, we just traded you to the Patriots. Uh, we really appreciate what you've done. I got to talk to my coach, Coach um, Tony Sperano, who recently passed away, was my tight end coach at the time. And by 12 o'clock, I was on a plane heading to West Virginia. So I flew out of uh, San Francisco to D.C. to get to West Virginia because the Patriots were having a joint practice with the Saints. And so I got in at like 2 in the morning, had to be up at 7 for practice at 9. I knew nobody. I knew (laughs) nothing about the plays. And so it was kind of a whirlwind. And I got out there. It was probably the worst practice I've ever had. Just basically, I was like running off no sleep. We were doing individual routes. I was like slipping out of my brakes. And I was like, man, I just look like a fool right now. But it ended up working out because I learned more than I've ever learned about football that time I was with New England. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a pretty unique situation. I mean, coming from San Francisco, was it like a completely different environment? Completely different. And... (laughs) So the first time we went out to practice, I'm running out and this guy comes up and stops me. He's like, hey, I'm Tom. And it's like, I know who you are. I've known who you are since I was in second grade. But just a a nice guy came up and introduced himself. But watching practice, you see immediately that it's a completely different organization than what I was coming from with San Francisco. Uh, Tom had an uncanny control of the offense. He just 
it was unique. And it was one of those things where you know you're watching greatness. So that was great to be around, great to witness and try to see what I can do to help. Did you have a relationship with him where he kind of helped you out with your football experience there with New England? Uh, I did. So I was on practice squad for a good part of the season. And then uh, one of our tight ends, Mike Williams, got hurt. So I got an opportunity to get on the active roster. And so every day during practice, if I wasn't in on a period and Tom wasn't in on a period, I would ask him to like go like throw routes with me just so I can like build that kind of relationship with him. And he's just so meticulous. He has all these rules that you have to abide by because that's what makes Tom Brady Tom Brady. There's rules like if you run a hitch at anything other than like six and a half yards, he will lose his mind. But because like that's what he expects. And yeah, who are you to mess that up? Yeah. And I'm sure that standard that he holds makes him that much more successful. Yeah. And then that's what makes the team so successful is that it's not a collection of the best athletes in the world, but it's a collection of people who understand what their role is and they do it every single time. Uh, you know, another thing I think of talking about, like the difference coming from San Francisco and going to New England, is the first thing that pops into my mind is coaching. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm sure, and I don't know anything about Coach Belichick, but what just from what I see kind of on TV and from what I hear through the media, but on its face, he kind of doesn't look like the most social person. But my understanding is, is, is there like a social side to him? Did you feel like there was, you could have a connection with a coach like Belichick? You can. And when you're around him, it's basically like what you see is what you get. He has a very dry sense of humor. He's very straight to the business, straight to the point. But he's a great coach. With Coach Belichick, what we did that was unique that I had never done anywhere else was we would watch situational videos of a team that we were about to play. So if we were about to play the Jets, we'd watch their previous game and not just watch their offense and defense, but we'd watch their special teams and try to see how good of a situational team they were. So the biggest um, violation you can make with the Patriots is make a situational error. If you don't understand the situations, then you can't be on the field. And you see that with a lot of teams is that they're not very situationally aware. But the Patriots very rarely make a situational error. Yeah, did you feel like... so? I'm assuming that really kind of contributed to their success. Oh, for sure. I mean, for, I mean, probably heads and tails over a lot of other teams in the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just felt like, I mean, again, looking from the outside in, it just seemed like they were very structured and very like, it's, it's this way. And this is just, this is our blueprint for success. And we need you to follow our blueprint. Yeah, that was my, that was my favorite thing about being on the Patriots. When I first got there, they tell you exactly how they view you. Uh, when I got there, they said, we view you as a tough like F tight end, kind of a move guy. Like you're going to have to do a lot of cut blocks, maybe some lead blocks. You might have to play a lot of fullback, but we believe that will make you successful and that will help us be successful. And once you understand your role and it's clearly defined, then it's easier to do what they ask you to do because you know what's expected of you. Yeah. You know, another thing too about New England, uh, kind of like the University of Miami, is that they always seem to have and gravitate towards good tight ends. Yeah. It was definitely a pleasure. <laughs> Getting a beer around Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, tell me about tell me about Rob Gronkowski. He's an, he's a freak. Yeah. He's tall, skinny. He doesn't look that strong, but he's a beast. And he is uniquely big. He moves a lot better than you think, and his hands are just unreal. Did you learn anything from him? Did you connect with Rob at all? I connected with Rob, but what I learned from Rob, I learned like something different from each tight end, senior tight end that I was around. What I learned from Rob was 
just go out there and have fun. Like, do what makes you good. Like, I know what the play says, like, 10 route, 10 yards and run a corner, but, like, you can put your flair into it. That's what I took from him. It's like, you can be your own person out there. He just seems like he personifies that all around through life and, you know, yeah. off the field and on the field. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Did you ever get a chance to, like, to hang out with him personally? I never got a chance to, like, go out with him, but I know Gronk is a character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people see just probably a portion of that, and what we see is pretty crazy, so. But what you don't see, and what I will say about Gronk is he's a lot smarter than people may perceive. Like, he's kind of like one of those, he plays into his perception, but he's a savant. Like, he is very smart. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably don't know that. They probably make a... a a bad assumption about him. They probably do. And he probably wants you to, but Gronk is a lot smarter than you think. So you spent some time in uh, New England. Mm-hmm. And then most recently, I would say you spent some time in LA. Yeah. Or was it San Diego? It was LA, right? San Diego. Oh, San Diego. San Diego. And maybe you could tell me about your transition to the Chargers coming from the Patriots. So it, it kind of happened in a funny way. It's funny now. It wasn't funny at the time. But uh, I got cut on Christmas. When I was with the Patriots. I kind of heard the story. Maybe you could tell me the story because I want to hear it again. I want to actually hear from you. It's a good story. So we were playing the Jets. I'd been active for probably like four or five weeks. And it was week 16. And it was Christmas. We're going into the Jets. And it was dinner at Brian Stork's house. He was our center. Uh, Like Jimmy Garoppolo was there. A couple other teammates. Cam Irving. uh, Cam Fleming. And we were just having a good time, chilling. We had just sat down for dinner, and I get a phone call. And I look at my phone, it's a, like a 508 number. And it's very rare to get like an unregistered like 508 number call. So I answer it, and I hear, oh, hey, it's uh, Coach Belichick. And I just want to let you know that we're about to make a roster move. And I knew immediately that means I'm being moved from the roster. Yeah. <laughs> But so we, we talked and he was he made it clear that this wasn't an indictment on me. We were playing the Jets, so we just needed an extra corner because they were going four wide all game at that time. So he was saying that we just need a movie for this game. You'll probably be back active next week for the final game of the season against the Dolphins. And we're not moving away from you. So just we'll sign you back to practice squad and everything's good. So I go back to the dinner table. The mood is very different now. <laughs> you would think, right? We, we literally just sat down to eat. And I tell him, I'm like, hey, well, I'm not coming in tomorrow. So it was fine. The rest of the meal was fine. And then when I went in to re-sign to practice squad on that Monday, the, they had just lost, lost to the Jets. Right before I could sign, I got claimed off waivers by the Eagles and the Chargers. So... The next morning, I was on a flight to San Diego, and it was another one of those just kind of whirlwind. I had to just leave everything in my place in Boston and just get there. I was there for the last week of the season. I didn't play, but yeah. Why wasn't it Philadelphia? So apparently, because the Chargers were, they were having a worse season, they had priority. So that's how I ended up with the Chargers instead of the Eagles. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, I hear you going again through this another transition from another team, coming from, again, structured New England, now going to, to San Diego. How was that? How much of that has changed for you? It was a huge difference, especially going from, at that time, we had just got a first round bye in the playoffs. We were locked for the playoffs. We, that season, we went 
10 and 0 the first 10 games of the season. So we were the best team in the league. And then I went to the Chargers. I hadn't done any research. I didn't know what the record was. But the first practice I did there, we were doing special teams. We were doing a punt drill. So I was on the scout team punt. And normally you do your protection steps and then you go out and cover 15 yards. That's just standard. So I do my protection and I run 15 yards and I look around and I see no one else ran with me. No one else on the scout team like covered. That's when I realized, oh, this team's probably not that good. And then I looked at their record after practice. I was like, oh, yeah, they were like four and 12. Yeah. So that's how that's the New England effect. I just knew like I wasn't on a great team because I knew the habits of good teams. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting coming from like this. Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, structured environment to all of a sudden now this not at the same level as your perception, not at the same level of football. Yeah. But. That's just how a testament to how great New England is and the, how good the habits that they built up are. Yeah. And then uh, we were playing. So the Chargers were playing the Broncos. And then my friends from New England were texting me saying like, hey, like, it would be great if you guys got a win because then that would secure them having home field advantage in the playoffs if we beat the, the Broncos. And at that time, Malcolm Floyd was retiring. And for practice, we wore T-shirts that said, like, thank you, Malcolm. It was, like, it was a nice gesture. But it was one of those things where I knew this wouldn't fly at New England. So when my friends were texting me, like, hey, we need you guys to beat the Broncos, I texted them back, hey, we just practiced in T-shirts today. We're not going to win this game. I just knew we weren't going to win this game. Right. And we lost. Yeah. And it's just you think a lot had to contribute with the environment there? It was just at that time, the work ethic of the team and like the culture of the team was just different. Like we were we were practicing in T-shirts that day. And then my boys in New England had just did like full pad tackling drill. Yeah. So it's like there's just a difference. Yeah, absolutely. So how was the rest of your experience then in San Diego? I, I had a lot of fun in San Diego. It, it was a it was a tough year. So I was the fourth tight end. So basically, I didn't dress that 2016-2017 season. I was inactive for most of the season. And it was kind of a weird feeling because like at the end of every game, like that Monday, I wasn't sure if I was going to get cut or not. So for like the whole season, I was kind of like on pins and needles. I didn't know how, like, how comfortable I should be with my situation. I was trying to improve my situation to no avail but i just knew i was like man just keep working hard and hopefully you stay here all year so asante a question for you so my understanding is that uh while you were with the chargers you suffered an injury um that i think may have impacted your career can you tell us a little bit about that uh well going into last season during camp uh, i tore my meniscus during a practice it was a non-contact injury i was just running a route that i'd run a thousand times and I planted, and then just something just didn't feel right. And turns out I tore my meniscus. And I had the option of either having it taken out, which would guarantee, it's basically buying arthritis is what they say, that I'd be recovered in six weeks, but I'm guaranteed a severe arthritis like 10, 15 years down the line. So with that in mind, I opted to have my knee repaired, which is a six-month recovery but there's a chance that it saves the meniscus uh, and I won't have arthritis because I figured 20, I mean, uh, 10, 15 years down the line, like I'm like 35, 40, and that's kind of young to have major arthritis. So that was my goal to protect that. So I had the surgery. 
I was trying to rehab. Uh, I was working out hard. Uh, my goal was to come back and be the best blocking tight end in the league. Like that was my mindset. I got as strong as I've ever been. And <clears throat> when the season ended, uh, New England called me back and they flew me out to sign me. Uh, the first day of free agency, I flew out there with every intent of being a Patriot and uh, had an MRI, met with the doctor. And at the end of the meeting, they kind of concluded, your knee's not repaired. So we can't sign you. So I went from, man, I'm about to be back competing for a Super Bowl to, damn, I may never play again. And it took a while for me to cope with that. Uh, I, I started to pay more attention to like how I felt when I was working out. And then I kind of noticed, I was like, yeah, like I'm not moving nearly as well as I was. Uh, I still feel a lot of pressure in my knee when I'm trying to like load up and cut, which is pretty big part of football. Yeah. And it kind of all came to a head when I was just working out and my knee swole up on me and it would con continuously do that. So I knew there's no way you can compete in the NFL with this kind of injury if it's still lagging or nagging you. And so that's when I kind of just had to ultimately realize that, man, this isn't for me. And then also being hurt, watching football, you kind of have a different lens because now I'm not watching like, oh, how well the tight end is doing, yada, yada, yada. I'm looking at, man, how many people are getting hurt? Yeah. And you kind of realize when I first got hurt, I was like, man, why is this happening to me? Then watching the game, you realize this happens to everybody. Yeah. Everybody's getting hurt. And so that's when it was kind of like, man, it was fun. Football served its purpose for me. It got me exactly where I needed to be. And now it's over. So Asante, did you feel like that was the first time you actually thought about like, like lifetime goals, like longevity, uh, as far as like, okay, I could, I could either just keep trying and have this mentality that I'm going to get back and play football at a potential cost mm -hmm. or just kind of like, all right, I maybe just need to start focusing on the bigger picture, the bigger life's picture. That was the first time I'd ever really like questioned my mortality as an athlete, because as athletes, we just... We feel indestructible. We know we have the ability and you never think it's going to go. And that was also the first time I'd ever been like injured from football. Like I had had shoulder surgery, but I was just from wear and tear. That was the first time I did one thing and then I was hurt or I was injured. And that was kind of an eye opener for me because I'd never experienced like that. So that was never like a real possibility to me. So when was the last time you had contact with football? So it's how long has it been since you've kind of officially kind of cut the cord or, or have you officially it's probably been a week or like two weeks wow uh, that's recent yeah pretty recent well it so after new england i went to a, a doctor when i came back to orange county and he basically said that you haven't really tested it enough to know if it's okay or not because uh, the mri that i had done didn't have any kind of dye in it to see like exactly what it looked like in there so he said that's a possibility that it will just never look right. It could still be right. But turns out what I didn't know at the time was I have a discoid-shaped meniscus, which is pretty uncommon. And for the most part, it turns surgeons or turns doctors off because inherently it's unstable. And of the people that have like meniscus surgery, he said like maybe 8% of them have this shape. 
And he said that he had done a surgery on a soccer player a couple years ago, and the guy's fine. He had a similar shape. But he said, every time I see him, I'm on pens and needles. I don't know if it's going to hold. Yeah. So it just makes people uneasy. And with that in mind, uh, I tried to pay more attention to myself when I was like working out, try to be more cognizant of how I felt. And that's when I kind of knew I was like, all right, this isn't, it's not the same. And it's probably not going to be the same since there's nothing left medically to do. Then like, this is just the new reality. Yeah. Do you think that uh, a team doctor would clear you to play if they were to reassess your knee? The thing is, maybe if I truly wanted to scratch and claw to get back on, maybe. But the thing is, I don't think so. And I realized that there's so much more to life than football, which is like such a cliche thing to say. But that was the first time I, I had to try to realize that is that, man, I'm losing an identity that I've attached to all my life. But now that's dead. And now I have to find a new identity. Like, who am I without football? Yeah. Do you, do you think to be a situation or do you feel like or ever thought about Listen, there may come a point in life where I may ask myself, like, what if? Like, what if I gave myself an opportunity to scratch and claw and come back from this injury? Like, do you feel comfortable with where you're at saying, you know what? I'm happy with where I'm at. I'm happy with my decision. And I'm not really so concerned about thinking about, like, all right, what if I did this? And how maybe I could have came. Yeah, I had a couple opportunities. A couple teams reached out to me saying that whenever you feel like you're 100%, let us know and we'll get you out here for a workout. So I went back to Sacramento training with that in mind. And when I told my agent, I was like, hey, I feel as good as I'm going to feel. Uh, reach out to these teams. Radio silence. Radio silence. No one got back to me. Uh, no one got back to my agent. And it was tough being in limbo like that when I didn't really know what, was, what I was going to do with football. If I got back into it, I didn't know what I was going to do if I didn't get back into football. So it was a tough place to be mentally. And I got to a point where I was like, all right, this needs to die. Like, you need to just let it go. You're fine. You accomplish everything you could accomplish. You could have done better. You didn't. That's the reality. But you did your best. And then I was okay with that. So what does this mean for Asante? What does this mean for you post-football? Uh, just trying to grow. Trying to, I've always been, I was a business major in college. So I've always been business-minded. Uh, I've invested in companies, um, working with friends, trying to help build up their companies. So I'm just, just moving and shaking right now. Nice, nice. Moving and shaking. It's always yeah. good. <laughs> do you still, do you still have, well, have, I have a real quick question about your circle. When you were in football and now being out of football, do you feel like your circle has gotten bigger, smaller, or stayed the same? That's the tough thing is that I kind of realized this a couple of weeks ago is that without football, I lost a community. And I, I didn't really understand that immediately as it happened. I just kind of, you have like a, a lonely feeling, like you don't really know who you can talk to because you don't know anyone who's going through what you're going through. And then you don't want to talk to friends who are still playing because like they're still living the dream and you don't want to bother them with that. So it was, it was a while where I kind of realized like, man, I lost a big community. And so now I'm just trying to find a new community. Yeah. And do you, have you set any specific like post football goals yet or? Uh, post football goal, make a whole bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good goal, but, by the way. Uh, but my goal is to 
I, I eventually want to start my own company. I love the idea of like branding. Like you can, if you can create a way to success, you can make it happen. Like if you can think it, you can make it happen. And I've always been just, I love like creativity. So that's probably the sector I'll fall into. So I really wanted to ask you this question when I was kind of knowing that I was going to sit down and talk to you today, but like learning from your experience, do you, is there any specific advice you'd give someone that's currently going through a similar situation that you went through football wise? Um, for someone going through like a, a transition, I would say the end of an era is not the end of the world. Uh, you're always going to go through transition. Whatever you start is going to eventually be finished. So be comfortable with that. There's always going to be a beginning. There's always going to be an end. So if you can just be comfortable in the fact that, man, I did something great or I could have done better, learn from it, grow from it, and take that passion and intensity into the next thing. All right. So Asante, so I have a, I like to call them like rapid fire questions. Okay. But I have some rapid fire questions for you. And I wanted to uh, just hit him out. And just so people listening know, I did not go over these questions with Asante beforehand. These are totally, he has no idea what I'm going to ask him, but nothing too crazy. But here we go. So who was your biggest influence and why? My dad, just because he, he taught me how to handle myself as a large black man in America. I understand how I'm perceived. So I understand how I need to present myself. One thing about your football career that you'll never forget. Man, uh, meeting playing with Antonio Gates, who was the reason I wanted to be a great tight end. Was there something specific about Antonio? Just being around him and just seeing that like, he's such a cool person. It's like a great feeling to meet someone you've always wanted to meet and just realize, man, you're as cool, if not better than I thought you'd be. Cool. I think I know the answer to this one or what your answer is going to be, but you have to choose one. Number 82 or number 45? Ooh, 82. 82 first. That's what I thought. All right. Another scenario question for you. So, Asante, you have a fantasy football team, and you need to pick a tight end. Other than yourself, who would it be? Gronk. Why? That's my boy. Yeah? Or, or like, any tight end I play. Actually, Vance McDonald is my new fantasy tight end. So, I played with him my rookie year, and this season, Vance is an absolute beast. So, Vance is my fantasy tight end. What about Antonio? I love, I love Gacy, but... Vance is balling right now. Did you see that stiff arm he had? Yeah, yeah. He's a beast. He is a beast. Wow. So, so no Antonio, no Gronk. You're going straight. Got to go with my boy. All right. All right, I got one more for you. So can you tell us something about Asante that most people don't know or they haven't heard anywhere else before? Uh, I'm left-handed. I don't know what people don't know. That's it. That's the best. <laughs> That's the best. You're left-handed. What's something about you that people don't know? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, all right. I wasn't expecting this. There we go. Switch so it. something about me that um, I don't know how to swim. Really? Yeah. What? I'm not. I'm not a swimmer. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Uh, I spent most of my life uh, in Brooklyn and New Jersey, and I was never a swimmer. Was afraid of water, and I don't know how to. Swim. So there's my. White tiger tidbit. All right. <laughs> one thing, I always put my right shoe on before my left shoe. Really? Someone told me that that was like a sign of like good luck in their culture. So I always thought like, I mean, it couldn't hurt to have more good luck. So I always put my right shoe on before my left shoe. You know, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I know in sports, superstition plays a lot in sports. Did it ever like factor in for you playing football? 
it was never that big of a deal. But if I did catch it where like if I was getting my ankle tape, I would always just like take my left foot away in the beginning so that they had to take my right foot first. Ah, nice. Yeah. Nice. Cool. So listen, I want to first and foremost, Asante, thank you for being here. Uh, I really, 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 truly appreciate your time. I know time is valuable. The fact that you're here with me, I feel very blessed. So thank oh, you for Thanks being for here. Me. Anytime. Listen, for everybody that's listening out there, I know sometimes we only see one perspective of athletes, but obviously athletes are people and there's a lot more than what we hear from other outlets and sometimes what we see on TV. But for the brief time I know Asante and for the time that I'm spending with him here today, he's just a really good dude. Really enjoy spending time with him. You have to check him out. Uh, Asante, where can people find you? Uh, my Instagram name is Cleveland Show underscore 82. That's what it is right now. I'm going to change it eventually, but that's where it is right now. All right. That's where he could be found anywhere else, or is that primarily your, your go to? I have Twitter, but I don't tweet. All right. So you heard it. You could find him there on Instagram. And again, Asante, man, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate Greg. it, man. Thank you. So there you go. My interview with Asante Cleveland. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I did because it was just an absolute blast to sit down, talk football, life. It was a lot of fun. And listen, I guarantee that you're going to hear more of Asante Cleveland on the White Tiger podcast coming soon. So if you haven't done it already, please check us out on Instagram. We're at the White Tiger podcast. Head on over there for some extras and some up-to-date information about what's happening Also, head on over to the website. It's WTPodcast.com. There you'll also find some extra information in addition to transcriptions of all of the episodes. So in case you don't like listening to podcasts, which would be kind of weird since you're listening to a podcast and you'd rather read them, there's a spot where you can read them. So enjoy. Listen, thanks again for tuning in this week. And I promise we'll see you next time. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the White Tiger Podcast. If you have feedback or questions for future episodes, get in touch by visiting WTPodcast.com.